Hey, Albuquerque, it's time to roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty, and get some sawdust in your hair. This is kind of a mystery to a lot of people. You have to have this little bit of secret knowledge to understand how to purchase wood, because a two-by-four is not really two inches by four inches. And if you've ever built something in your own home, you've probably figured that out the hard way. On today's episode, Lindsay and Ryan introduce you to a workshop in town that not only has all the tools you need for woodworking, but also the lessons and the experts to help you start and improve your craftsmanship. Put on your plaid lumberjack shirt, Mr. and Mrs. Paul Bunyan. And just so you know, this episode was recorded before Thanksgiving. It's What's Up, ABQ. What's up, Albuquerque? This is Lindsay. And this is Ryan. And this is Season 2 of What's Up, ABQ. What's up, Albuquerque? This is Lindsay. And this is Ryan. And today we have... Erin O'Donnell with Dovetail Community Workshop. Okay, so tell us what Dovetail Community Workshop is. Explain, where, how did you start? What happened? Yeah, what happened? <laughs> what happened? It's a story I keep trying to uh, tell shorter, but I'll do my best. What we are is a community wood shop, and that means that people may have memberships to use the shop for their very own projects and things they want to do. We also offer classes for people who want to either learn new skills or build on skills they already have as far as woodworking. We do consider ourselves a makerspace, although we specialize in woodcraft and woodworking. And we've been here in this location since February of 2018, so like a year and a half. And it's been great to see the community really grow. We have several resident woodworkers who are, you know, a lot more advanced and expert. They have their own space within the shop and are able to kind of come and go at will. And they're also great resources and they help supervise for safety and they're great to have around. We're really pleased with the um, community we've built with them. And in addition, then we have our regular members who benefit a lot from the back and forth of being in a shared space together. So a lot of people come to us and say, I've seen this or that on YouTube, but I just don't grasp it fully. So this is a kind of activity or hobby or craft that the hands-on matters a lot. And a lot of us have learned a bunch from the internet, but being together with other people to get advice, ask questions, say, how would you do this? Or how does this work? (laughs) What is this? And have some... There are saws or some wood. It's a little loud and dusty. Yeah. It's fun to watch people build, you know, their skills and their confidence in, you know, not just this craft, but other things as they go along. I know, Lindsay, you asked how we got started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to know the kind of backstory behind how this was born. (laughs) It's, um, I need a better origin story because it's bits and pieces, but I think the driving factor really had to be, I've always had a desire to make things myself, learn how to do things, love being able to use tools and have that knowledge, fix things, you know, at home on my own. But uh, the big push came maybe... I think six, seven years ago, I was working on refinishing this old school desk that I had grown up with in my parents' house and then brought it to my home for my own daughters to have in their room. And I wanted to refinish it and distress it and do all the cool things that you see on Pinterest, you know, (laughs) and and make it because it was kind of this aging orangey finish on this oak like low table with cubbies and it's super cute. So I was like, I'm going to distress this and blah, blah. So I go out and buy a handheld belt sander and, you know, take off with it. And those things are powerful. If you haven't used one, they'll run right off with you. So 
you know, my husband has a little more knowledge with shop class in high school. I had shop class in seventh grade for one semester. I got a C. <laughs> I'm a little better at it now. So he, uh, you know, he's like, okay, here's how you use a belt sander. Great. And I'm off to the races. So I'm on my back deck at my house, sanding madly. And then later on in the garage, working on the finishing out of the wind. So it was, I think, during just those moments of sanding and sanding again, that I was thinking, you know, I wonder if there's a place you could go that had the tools and, and people to help you and do all this, or is everybody doing this alone? And kept thinking about it. At the same time, I was doing my original career of journalism and freelance writing. One of my clients at that time was, I was writing about small business owners and entrepreneurs, and I loved hearing their stories. So yeah, kind of got the bug from them as well. Those two things came together, and, you know, six years later, <laughs> I'm here. I moved to Albuquerque in 2015, and that was kind of a real catalyst to it, kind of got the ball rolling. I was very fortunate to meet people in the local small business and startup communities, did some working out of Fat Pipe with the co-working community, and they were uh, great resources just to both put me together with a good knowledge base, as well as the encouragement that comes from you know, being around others who are willing to take those risks. How do you feel that your passion for working with your hands with what and what not started? Boy, it's a good question. I think I feel um, a lot of similarity with people who come to us to use the shop and take classes that we're at computers all day. Like, you know, right. what, 80% of us maybe? Uh, just all day in front of a screen. It's a great way to completely change your whole point of view and you have to use a whole other side of your brain with your hands. Just today, while I was going through a safety orientation with a new member, reiterate the point we make all the time is that part of safety is very much being focused on what you're doing. Uh, we need to be in the moment when you're doing things with your hands or with power tools or with any element of risk. And so it can help you get out of your head with other things that may be going on. So I think that was really appealing once I had had some of that experience that I wanted to be able to um, have something of my own that I made. I know what work went into it. I know how it's structured and I can kind of rely on it. I bought a lot of bad, shitty furniture in my <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> where I wish I could fix this, but I just made a bad purchase. <laughs> so much. And so that, too, I just felt like, I'm tired of throwing my money away on this. I want to learn to do it myself. So I had that drive as well. I think I was also very inspired by, there's a, a good number of women bloggers, DIY. They have you know websites, YouTube channels, a lot of media out there um, that show women learning how to do this. And I think, again, for many of us, I'm Generation X, maybe it's less so with millennials, but a lot of us feel like we didn't get that opportunity to do a lot of these things, either, you know, around the house at home or in school. So it's empowering to see other other women pick up the power tools and be extremely proficient with them. One of my best friends had a sister who had three little kids about the same time mine were little. And I was at their house, and I saw this beautiful um, kind of side cabinet. And I was like, oh, Amy, where did you get that? Oh, and her sister says she made that. And what? I would just, I, my jaw <laughs> fell open. I was thrilled and super impressed and totally jealous. And I'm like, mom, do that too. So I want to make that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
We say a lot around here, the satisfaction of saying I made that, you know, is huge, but it's true. If you've ever made even the slightest thing that you felt was functional and it came out pretty close to how you intended it, <laughs> then you, you have that satisfaction. And there's not always a lot of ways to get that otherwise in our modern life. What's your favorite thing to make? Mm, favorite thing to make, like that I have or that I want to? Mm. Or both. Gosh, that, that is a good question. I do like making, you know, kind of simple furniture right now. We made these Adirondack chairs over the spring and summer that I um, have one finished and one still in progress. But the one that's done is on my patio. It's a beautiful turquoise color that my daughter picked out. And I will go and sit in that in the morning and have my coffee and just like be surrounded by something I'm proud of. And it's great. So that was a really fun project because it was probably one of the larger things that I had done. But small things are a lot of fun. I am trying to find time for my own resident experts to teach me more about wood turning on the lathe. That's when you take a flat piece of wood and make it round. And uh, some people think of it like a pottery wheel, but for wood on its side. So using certain chisels and other tools, you can make pens, bowls, you know, anything long and thin and rounded, rolling pins, bottle stoppers. It's kind of endless. Making bowls is a little trickier and takes more, little more time and attention and, and training. So I want to learn how to do that like by the end of the year <laughs> and be able to um, have some come out that, that don't split apart completely. So you had mentioned earlier members and membership. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What does that entail? And then if say I'm somebody walking in, I've never never had any experience with tools or woodworking or anything, which is true. What can I expect? We're absolutely uh, open to the novice and the newcomer. And, and I love teaching this to people because there's that element. I don't like the word fear. I hate, I hate saying the word fear. There's a risk to doing this that we must acknowledge, but I don't teach people fear if they're new. I say, come learn, learn how to use this. I have another uh, instructor who her, her phrase is make friends with a tool. So that's definitely the approach we take for someone who is brand new. Our classes have been a really great way for people to have kind of uh, an introductory that gets your feet wet where you don't feel overwhelmed. So making cutting boards is a good way to do that. Some other small projects have been a nice way to get people a little bit past that barrier of, I don't know how to do this. And we tell them that you can. Uh, Oh, you asked about what does membership look like for us? And the process with that is everyone takes a safety orientation and we talk a lot about the basic tool usage as well as our own house rules. Because even if you have done this before, we do have to have a a way that is our way of doing things that we want consistency. So we try to get everybody on the same page. And then once you've had the orientation, you can get a membership for, you know, a term of time. We have a few options for that. And then you have access to use our tools whenever we're open for business. But membership isn't required to come in and take those classes. So you can come and get a basic understanding, see if it's for you. Um, we don't want um, anyone to feel like they've overcommitted to something either. So, What's the best way for people to either find out about you guys or what, what's the main point of contact? I feel like um, the best way to find out about us is our website, which is dovetailworkshop.com. Uh, we also have a very active Facebook page, and we are Dovetail Workshop there on Facebook and Instagram. So I do a lot with the social media to try and reach the local 
making and, and craft communities. We try to reach out as well with um, some of the local merchants that serve woodworking. And it's really good that there's a very, very active local woodworking community. You may not know we have two quite large woodworkers clubs in town. So there's the Albuquerque Woodworkers Association, there's the New Mexico Woodturners, and they both have monthly meetings with dozens of people, have a lot of overlap between the groups too. But yeah, they're a great resource for people also uh, wanting to learn and find out kind of how to get started with this. And I'm really glad you you, uh, you mentioned that because I, that was my next question is what, what does the woodworking craft, I don't want to say scene, but in, in <laughs> Albuquerque, what, the, the scene is going on. What, what does it look like here in Albuquerque? Sure. Well, I think those are good indicators is um, the the level of interest and popularity in those very long running clubs. There are two merchants in town who are dedicated to woodworking supplies, as well as uh, doing a little bit of demonstrations themselves. So I think that we gauge it largely through response we're seeing on social media to, um, you know, we are lucky enough to refer each other I think, between those other clubs and businesses. so But it's constantly growing. I think there has been a bit of an age gap and often a gender gap when it comes to woodworking. And that can be a barrier for some people feeling like, I don't look like the people I imagine to be a woodworker. I don't look like a lumberjack. <laughs> Although I do wear a lot of flannel. Uh, yeah. I love fall, did I mention? <laughs> yeah. But I feel like we're seeing a much more diverse group of of, say, the younger uh, generation who's coming and wanting to learn about this because you will hear a lot of people say, you know, schools don't have shop class anymore. Well, they do, but I don't think it's as expected for especially the boys to take it. So it's kind of just another elective. Not every school has a wood shop. Many of ours in town do, and they're still very active. What you're also seeing is the maker movement in general, which goes well beyond woodworking. But the maker movement's very strong in Albuquerque. And we have other maker spaces which provide other machines and disciplines and things you can try. So I really feel like there is a, um, a sentiment, you know, both here and nationwide to try things. The resources are here. The support and instruction and encouragement is here with all of us to say, try this out, we'll help you. Learn to make this, learn to see what you can do. I think the social media has helped a ton with spreading that ethic because Pinterest and Instagram were all like, whoa, can I make that? And usually the answer is yes. That's right. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the age gap and maybe gender gap. I know, like for me, I had actually in middle school wanted to take wood class and I didn't get in and I was so bummed out and they were like well you can take home ec and I'm like yeah that's not the same thing like the interest is way different Um, and I feel like it's not as encouraged for for girls to pursue things like that so it's really cool to see a female operated opportunity here in town and then kind of say like okay you know what we're at that point where we can come in we can learn these things it's not off limits it's not limited to men which is really exciting I think that's an exciting place to be. Well, I appreciate you saying that because I'm very aware of being the face of a wood shop. And when people walk through the door, they they look at me and they keep looking around to see where the owner is. (laughs) And I don't... We left him back in 1955. You know, I can't get offended. It's... 
it's what they know. And so I'm, I'm happy to change minds um, and be there. And I'm not the most expert expert here by far. So we have a pretty great range of, I think, people in their abilities, their skill sets, um, the things that they are really good at so that we can offer people a, a real range of specialists to help them with the things they want to do. But they don't have to feel unwelcome to come and do it. So why would working in Albuquerque? Why do it here? Hmm. I think really compared to a lot of other cities, especially ones I've lived in, there's such a strong artisan ethic that's always been, I think, part of the New Mexico culture. I think that, you know, you see a lot of, you know, there is just a lot of wood carving, especially among some of the, um, you know, both native and Spanish influenced um, artwork that we see throughout the state. And so there's, there's a history there that is great to capitalize on. And again, I think it is, it's a very maybe hands-on kind of culture. And, you know, there's a lot of fiber arts. There's a lot of painting. There's so much art in general. And woodworking is, is exciting to me because it pulls in both the art and design side as well as its science and math and engineering. So we got to measure stuff and make it fit. And so it brings those things together in a, a very cool way to me. And it's great to share that, especially with kids, with all the emphasis now on STEM education. So it's a fun way to pull together kind of both sides of the brain. Do you guys offer any kind of workshop experience for students, like little kids or school-age students? Or like, do you guys offer anything like that? Or are you going to in the future? Or? We certainly want to increase the amount of youth-oriented uh, regular programming that we do. It's, it's a little more difficult just to make sure we have the right amount of, you know, instructors and and the right leveling of skills and the projects that we do. But one uh, one group we have served several times are scout groups. And I reached out last year to Girl Scouts and had several troops get in touch with me. The cadet Girl Scouts, I want to make sure I'm right about this, I want to say 6th and 7th grade girls, because my daughter has been one. And she has, not her troop, but others have come and done the, the cadet woodworking badge. So that is actually a Girl Scout badge they can earn. And it's been really fun to see them do everything from holiday decor to one troop did a set of long benches that they then used in their thinking day activity, which is a international cultural day for Girl Scouts. So they each pick a country. Well, these girls did a Bavarian basically beer hall dance with their benches. It was great. (laughs) So they we helped them out, but they did a large part of, you know, the, the cutting and we're always taking that safety into account, of course. So we make sure everybody knows exactly what's involved. But it's good to see kids, you know, as well, really, especially young girls. I'll say it again, especially the girls kind of feel like I didn't think I could do this. And wow, if I could make this, what else could I do? So we are at our about halfway point. So we will take a quick break and we will be right back. What's up, baby Q? It's Ryan. So I know this has happened to all of us at least once. We're out around town with friends and our food comes and it's not exactly what we hoped for. It happened to me last week, but you know what? There is a place I know where that has never happened to me. No, it's not your grandma's house, although I'm sure her chili is amazing too. It's Birkade's Burgers and Dogs right there at Gibson and San Mateo. I mean, literally every time I go there, I stuff my face. Gil's green chili has flavor and a kick, while the red chili has that spice and that burn. 
Everyone there is super friendly. The food is hot and fast. Next time you don't know where to go for lunch, remember what you heard. When it comes to amazing food, Burke's Burgers and Dogs is what's up, ABQ. And we're back. And today uh, we have... Erin O'Donnell, Dovetail Community Workshop. So, Erin, I'm looking behind you, and I've noticed I'm just I'm I'm observing. We're in we're in a in a in a workspace kind of area, and I'm looking. And you're talking about how it's engineering and it's art and it's a little bit of science and math, and it's it's so clear as I'm looking because I see equations over here on the dry erase, which I could not explain to you what they mean, <laughs> but they look very complex. And then behind you, there's a there's a chart asking, okay, what wood is it, and then how to tell. Can you explain a little bit about that? Oh. Of course. So the what wood is it chart that Wait, you're looking at. <laughs> for those of us who can't see in the podcast. <laughs> well, it is mostly in text. However, there is uh, what appears to be a large bullseye on this chart. And it's actually to represent a cross section of, say, a log or a tree. And it's telling you the different cuts of wood, which actually do matter in woodworking and in construction, too. So depending on where a log is cut, it has different um, strength. And so if it's got all all the lines going up and down is not quite as strong as what we call quarter sawn, which is from like the 10 and 2 position, if you think about it like a clock. Uh, the other things on here refer to how to identify different kinds of wood species and to um, determine which kind of wood is good for a, this or that sort of project. If you think about wood um, used in furniture you have or had possibly antiques, uh-huh. you think of, what kind of wood do you think of when you think of furniture? Oak. Okay. <laughs> and maybe walnut, mm-hmm. maple, things like that. So those really, you know, well-known hardwoods are um, valued for furniture for certain reasons. They just, they're easy to work with as far as, you know, the qualities of them lend themselves better to the operations you have to do. Uh, other kinds of wood can be too soft. They can tear out. They can be this and that. This chart we keep in here for a class we do every month that's free, and we've called it a few different things. I think now we're calling it All About Wood. Um, That's a good name. But we've called it, (laughs) I mean, it's a little more, you know, straightforward, some other things we've called it, but um, it's really a great way just to get introduced to not only, you know, how to tell wood apart and know, you know, what's domestic and what's exotic and what's hard and what's soft, how to choose the right thing for your project. And um, also how to buy wood, because this is kind of a mystery to a lot of people. You have to have this little bit of secret knowledge to understand how to purchase wood, because a two by four is not really two inches by four inches. And if you've ever built something in your own home, you've probably figured that out the hard way. (laughs) Kind of sucks. So (laughs) we try to educate people on that to reduce that frustration level when you thought you bought 36 inches, you know, wide of material. And when you put it all together, it's really 30 or something. That's just one of the, you know, kind of free offerings we do to, again, make it easy for people to come and check things out. In New Mexico, are there certain kinds of woods like in the state that you, you typically use for projects? I'm afraid the answer is no. Uh, it's a big fat no because we're in the desert southwest and we don't grow those beautiful maple and oak and walnut trees that those of us from the Midwest know very well. Uh, what we do grow here, we have things like, um, there's honey locust, there's sycamore, 
Siberian elm is not native native, but there's a lot here. Um, we have juniper, we have mesquite. Those those are useful in certain applications. The things that do grow here that are a little more of the, the desert varieties, um, as well as all the pinyon and pine and softwood trees. Douglas fir is a lot. And cottonwood actually too can be used for certain projects. So they have different qualities that maybe make them less easy to work with, less sturdy for a furniture project, but not, not necessarily. You can't rule them out. So we have a great in-house expert who um, has taught us tons about the local woods, and her name's Holly Von Winkle. She now runs a local sawmill that is uh, milling urban lumber, you know, usable lumber for projects, keeping it out of the waste stream, recycling a lot of stuff that normally had been turned into firewood and mulch. So it's been great to see her operation come along as well and help us to kind of make better use of what is locally sourced um, and not have people immediately dismiss it because it's not those more traditional woods. You know, we were just recently interviewing a historic spot, and it was across from the old sawmill, um, like a turn of the century. And so my, I, I don't know if I know the answer, you know the answer to this, but I'm wondering, what were they bringing down to go to that sawmill 100 years ago? You know what I mean? Like, I've, I've got to be curious about, like, what kind of wood they were bringing. In most cases, it was the pine trees and the juniper, okay. you know, probably turning those into uh, construction lumber, you know, things for houses probably. But that's what we have the most of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, is the here's here's a fun fact about wood, which is, you know, we're wood nerds, so we think this is all fun. You're allowed. Okay. (laughs) We're giant wood nerds. Um, More on that in a minute. Wood that is, or I'm sorry, trees with needles are considered softwoods. Trees that lose their leaves are considered hardwoods. It's kind of a misnomer because there are trees that are technically hardwoods that are softer than, quote, softwoods. It's it's a little confusing, but that's the designation. So they are good for, yeah, again, like two by fours or, you know, even aspen trees. You'll see some of those used in uh, beams and things in the older it's funny that you mentioned those because I, whenever I go up north, I always love to like get a sapling and turn it into like like a staff or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. just carve it with my knife or something. Absolutely. You know, the things that I think the people who lived here hundreds of years ago were probably a whole lot better at using those resources than we are now because we're used to going to Home Depot or wherever. We're sending your husband to do it because we're really insecure about what to get when we go there. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Just well, from experience, that's all. <laughs> I like that you mentioned that, Lindsay, because we we really do think, you know, anyone can learn this stuff if it's something that's important to you. So I like to really reduce that intimidation factor, whether you want to learn about, you know, how to pick this stuff out or how to identify it or how to build with it. So everybody's teachable. So we have an important question to ask you. Okay. Red or green? Red. I know, I know. And I get hell for it. But I don't know. It's... um. Uh, my husband's green all the way. Uh, he's he's lived here more than I have, and I still have been. Um, I'll, I'll still mostly choose red. But uh, I tell you what, when he comes home in August and September with with the big old bag full of chilies, it's now it smells good to me. And if you had to go somewhere in town for good red chili, not your house, or your grandma's house, or anything, where would you go? Oh, you're gonna kill me now. <laughs> Oh my God! See, see, this is just guaranteed to make someone mad. Tough Why would you? <laughs> oh gosh, let's see. We love. Oh my. There's no wrong answer. There is though. 
What do you mean? The hometown favorites, I love Sadie's. I love El Pinto. I mean, that's what we love. You know, no salsa crosses our threshold that wasn't made here. So that's kind of where we're at. I feel like that's a really solid standard. (laughs) Even, uh, you know, red chili on my my Golden Pride breakfast burrito is the way to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, best thing. Had one at Balloon Fiesta. No, that might have been Blake's. Either way, it was local. Okay. Yep. Well, it counts. Equally it counts. Yeah. It does. <laughs> so, do you have a specific type of thing that people like to make here or that they concentrate making here in the studio? Well, workshop, sorry. I it's, studio. oh, we, except studio, we okay. answer to it all. I'm like, I don't know the, co- like the correct term. That's okay. <laughs> I'm learning. I think there isn't like one outstanding project, which is the best because we see it all and we have um i don't know if it's getting picked up on the mic i kind of hope not but right now one of our resident woodworkers is in his little studio space uh, making turkey calls and that's all john makes right now he can make anything they do they do sound like turkeys it's, it's not a flock of turkeys was. in there and i was like Oh my gosh! It's it's like well, <laughs> we coming. you know <laughs> That's Thanksgiving's on its way, guys. We keep waiting for a herd of turkeys to show up because John is constantly calling them. So so far, no dice. But Thanksgiving's coming. Are there are other kinds of turkeys. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we have some jokes about that too. So John has his side gig. He just retired. This is what he you know has been doing for years, but now he's focusing on it. Sells them all over the country, and they're beautiful custom-made hardwood friction calls gorgeous so we listen to him squawk all day long and so he's got those um we do probably as far as popularity because of our classes cutting boards are the number one you know product that you see coming out of the shop because it's something that's a great again entry-level project we will usually do a lot of the cutting in advance so it's more of an assembly and then design project as well so but super functional because because, you know, we like to make them nice and beefy and strong and show you how to take care of them after the fact. And then my other question for you was, do you have anybody that comes here and specializes in like antique furniture or restoration or things like that? Because I know that I've had a few antique pieces where I'm like, I would love to fix this. No idea how. And I don't want to risk ruining it. Is there is there other people that come in here and maybe that's what they do or? I, I wish there were. Um, we do get that question a lot because we do have people um, reach out to us for either repair or custom work. There is a a table base about 20 feet away from us in the lobby right now waiting to be picked up. We had a client who got in touch. She wanted to have something that was coffee table height raised to dining table height. So one of our instructors took on that project and used the lathe to turn an extension and, and make that work. So I'm not sure hers probably does technically qualify as antique, but it was more of a, you know, upcycling, I think, mm, right. than and a repurposing. We we are aware of one or two furniture repair folks in town where that is their business, and we try to refer out to them when possible. They are very busy or one is kind of semi-retired, so less available. But I think there's a need there because your instincts are right. You don't want to screw that up, especially if it has some value, whether it is sentimental or monetary. 
So to keep those those things in good shape, I think um, I don't like to think of it as a lost or a skill that's going away or an art, but I think it is important to you know get that right. We definitely like to connect with anyone else out there who who does have that skill and be able to put people together with them. We're really proud to be able to offer um, some of those repair and custom work services, not just to do it yourself, but yeah, sometimes we can do that for you. So do you have a dream project? Mm, do I? I think I do. Um, I have a couple. So I would like to, mm, I do want to remake my whole dining table. We have already once put a new top on it, and now it's very basic and blah. <laughs> So I'd like something, you know, farmhouse is huge right now. You know, Joanna Gaines, I'm looking at you. Uh, (laughs) It's everywhere. Joanna, if you're listening. Joanna, (laughs) serious. Um, Even in Albuquerque. Well, it's um, farmhouse is is big, and I kind of like it because a little more of that rustic, distressed look. You can't F it up as bad as something that requires a little more discipline. So sometimes those are good projects to start with. So something a little um, very beefy, sturdy, heavy, kind of that farmhouse look is um, it's okay if it's got a few dings and it actually adds to it. So um, I want to remake a bigger dining table in my house. I want to um, probably uh, make a few barn doors for in my house as well. And I think probably creating um, a couple of bed frames. So I'm looking at the big, big stuff Mm -hmm. right now. But my other dream, like I was saying earlier, is to really improve on the lathe and just barely like get something set up to make a little pen right now. So, but I think it's gorgeous. And just the work that can be done on the lathe is mind blowing sometimes. Just, I mean, Google wood turning videos and you'll be there for days because it's mesmerizing and it's truly art. So I want to be able to use that more effectively and and make things on there, you know, to give us gifts. I love giving handmade gifts. Now is the time of year, you know, we're getting people in to get started on on things they can do and make for, you know, their own decor or to give us a gift or, you know, just learn a little something. And do any of your artisans here, do they sell anything out here? Because I noticed there was like a little table. There's a bunch of cool little things on there. So they do sell things. Yes, we do have um, some of our members and instructors who sell the things that they make here. And again, they range from, um, you know, pens and bowls to, um, I know someone was making sets of like a salad bowl, a carved spoon and a cutting board, you know, all together. So kitchen items are pretty popular. Um, One of our resident wood turners has, um, he has sold many different kinds of projects that you can do from kits. So bottle stoppers, uh, handles for fun kitchen items, cheese knives, things like that are really fun to do. And he's also been working for the past year on perfecting hollowed out hot air balloon uh, made of wood. So I watched him on his first few tries and it blew up and it blew up and then finally he was getting the hang of it. So that was um, a really advanced technical project for him to try. And it's it's fun to watch people kind of go through that process. But yeah, I think he was hoping to make and sell those, you know, coming up soon as well. And I'm trying to think, we mentioned the turkey calls and other folks have made, you know, little one-off things for, for people they've who've become clients of their own. Of course, I'm drawing a little bit of a blank about what else there might be, but we've seen quite a few things. Oh, I had uh, one member made a longboard, cool. you know, skateboard, <laughs> nice. for a friend and is thinking about making some of his own to sell now because he was pleased with how that turned out. So, yeah, we definitely like to help incubate those makers who, who want to 
get rewarded for their hard work and get out there on Etsy and at the markets. The last really big major question we have is where do you see Albuquerque going in the future? Mm, in general or sort you can of take it any direction you want. Oh, to. I love this. <laughs> wow. As a transplant to Albuquerque, but I've lived here for four years, but we've been coming here for many years more than that to see my husband's family. So he's thrilled to be back here where he's had family all his life. And we love it. We know the city has has issues that I think are totally solvable. And I think the spirit of this community is, is built for it because people here aren't afraid of hard work and people here are survivors. So what I would love to see, that we will see in the you know next few decades, the film industry is booming and I love it. I think that's a great way for our city and state to really attract other new businesses and really diversify the economy. We've been so dependent, I think, on a lot of federal, you know, with the, the labs and the military and we need to branch out and have a lot more, both small business and, you know, large things like Netflix coming to town. So I think the influx of that industry is going to do a lot just to grow everything else because that base will be here for people to want to bring other industries to town. Um, I certainly hope that it will grow the way of sustainability, um, that we have things come in that bring in good jobs for a good living. That's going back, I think, to my journalist roots a little bit, where I'm thinking back to being a business writer as well. So it's... um, you know, I have three kids, and they do love it here. I don't know if they'll stay, you know, for their lives, but I want there to be opportunities that they don't feel they're forced to leave. Well, we want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to come be here, and um, we love all the different projects that we've been able to kind of spy around the corner on. So. I also love more. the smell. Yeah. <laughs> I love the smell of, like, I just love it. It's so refreshing. Yeah, since you can't uh, get the smell on, you know, recorded <laughs> anyway. anyway, people just have to come by and check it for Not themselves. For Where are you located? Um, we're in a complex called the Pan American Business Center that is at 6102 Jefferson Street Northeast in Albuquerque, right off of I-25. Super easy to get to. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. What's up, Albuquerque? Ryan and Lindsay want to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Each episode, they strive to bring you the best of our community. Discover places you'll want to check out that you need to try, see, or visit in Albuquerque. How can you help the podcast or even get involved? If you have a local business, get the name of it front and center to new customers who are your neighbors here in Albuquerque. Ryan and Lindsay want to come to your place and let you tell what's up with your business, service, or brand. They'll be thrilled to consider an interview with you. Just shoot an email to abqwhatsup at gmail.com. That's abqwhatsup at gmail.com. Second, you can donate. Like all good things in our city, this show takes time and resources to create. Chip in for some gas or throw some dosh our way for a coffee or beer. You can do that at our website, www.whatsupabq.com. That's www.whatsupabq.com. And last, help spread the word about this podcast. Share your favorite episodes on social media. Tell the folks around you about What's Up ABQ and let the businesses you hear about on this podcast know you heard about them on What's Up ABQ. We hope you'll also leave reviews on the sites wherever you get your podcasts. Every little bit helps. 
On behalf of Ryan and Lindsay, thanks for being a listener and spreading the word. What's Up ABQ is produced by Ryan and Lindsay with post-production assistance from Paul Nixon at paulnixonvo.com. See you next time.